My goodness, you read things on social media? Misshapen by our warped idea that God has somehow mellowed with age. I mean, so many of us see him as a mix of Dr. Phil and Oprah and perhaps a dash of Dick Van Dyke, kindly figure there. And you say, that's a good thing because I, I was never personally comfortable with the God of the Old Testament. Newsflash. You were never meant to be comfortable. And last time I checked, the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. Just so we're clear as we talk about holiness, let's give it a definition. God's holiness, and there's slots there, blanks in your notes if you want to jot it down, is the quality that sets him apart from everything and everyone else in the universe. It is his perfection, purity, radiance, beauty, and righteousness. I suppose when most of us think of God's holiness, we think of uh, his sinless purity, his perfect creation, his son. What do they call him? The spotless lamb of God, right? Unblemished. And unquestionably, these all help round out, if you will, a, a definition of God's holiness. But there's more. There's more. There's also a terrifying, humbling Plant your face in the ground response to this holiness of God. We love to think of God as the creator of the world, um, the deliverer of the Israelites, the author of scripture, the king of the universe, and he's all of that. Those things are all true. They help describe the holiness of God. But if we stop there, and many of us do, we end up with a spiritual flat tire. Why? Because there really is more to it. There is a fear and trembling side of God that I think many of us, if not most of us, either ignore or just miss. And this problem is more than, than academic. It's not just some theological footnote. It's not mere theory. No, it's a big deal. It can lead us to devastating choices, shocking behavior with irreversible consequences. Just ask Moses. We meet up with him today in the 20th chapter of Numbers. If you've got your Bible handy, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Not too hard. Fourth book of the Bible. We're going to look at the 20th chapter. And I know we've been standing, but if you can, and if you're willing, would you stand up out of respect to the Word of God as I read for us the inerrant Word of God? It's okay, I'll do the reading today, and the words will be on the screen. Numbers one, 20, verses 1 through 13. Then the sons of Israel, the whole congregation, came to the wilderness of Zin in the first month. And the people stayed at Kadesh. Now Miriam died there and was buried there. There was no water for the congregation. And they assembled against Moses and Aaron. And then the people argued with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why then have you brought the Lord's assembly into this wilderness for us and our livestock to die here? Why did you make us come up from Egypt to bring us into this wretched place? It is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there water to drink. 
Then Moses and Aaron came in from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron assemble the congregation and speak to the rock before their eyes that it shall yield its water. So you shall bring water for them out of the rock and have the congregation and their livestock drink. So Moses took the staff from before the Lord just as he had commanded him. And Moses and Aaron summoned the assembly in front of the rock and he said to them, Listen now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with his staff and water came out abundantly and the congregation and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, since you did not trust in me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, for that reason you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Those were called the waters of Meribah because the sons of Israel argued with the Lord and he proved himself holy among them. Would you please take a seat? Think with me just for a moment here about the sequence of events we have encountered. When confronted with this problem of no water, Moses met with God. Great start. What better idea? He and Aaron left the people, went to the tent of meeting, and notice in verse 6 the detail that Moses and Aaron fell on their faces. That's great, seeking God for wisdom. Then notice that Moses heard from God. I mean, his command was clear. Take the staff, you and your brother Aaron, assemble the congregation, and speak to the rock before their eyes that it shall yield its water. Verse 8 makes it clear. Moses was told everything he needed to know how to succeed. Once in a while we're in jobs where we are simply not empowered to succeed. We don't have the right information. Moses didn't lack that. Now I don't know how long a walk it was from the tent of meeting to the place where the people all assembled, but I know that somewhere along that walk Moses forgot that God is holy. Be afraid. Notice all the ways that Moses messed up in this one brief encounter. Consider first his angry speech. Verse 10, he says, Listen now, you rebels, you scumbags. Moses was ticked off. Maybe he was tired. Maybe he hadn't slept well for a couple nights. Maybe his wife was snoring in the tent there. Now, I don't know any men that snore. I really don't. I got four grandkids here today, and they will tell you that I don't snore, do I? Well, wait, wait, wait. Don't tell anyone. I don't know why he was angry, that angry, but he was. Maybe he was sick of, of leading these people, sick of being in charge. Like a parent worn out from kids just fighting at each other, you know? We were at lunch uh, Friday together. Egg Harbor. Nice place. And in walks this mom and her three, three boys and they sit down in the booth next to us and there is yelling and shouting. It was constant. It was unsettling and it would be enough to make anybody angry. We don't know all that fed into it but Moses was angry. You don't, you don't talk like he did otherwise. His angry speech. Notice then his arrogant attitude. 
Verse 10, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Excuse me, since when did Moses ever personally perform a miracle? Did the deity of God somehow rub off on him? That's pretty arrogant if you want my opinion. Next, notice his disobedient choice. Verse 11, Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with his staff. But God had commanded him to speak to the rock. Worth noting, the scene that we've just read about here in Numbers 20 is not the same as the incident that took place earlier at Horeb in Exodus 17. And there the Israelites were also thirsty, and there God did tell Moses to strike the rock. But not here. God told Moses to speak to the rock. As for Moses' disobedience here, was this just an extension of his rage? I'm going to beat the tar out of that rock. I don't know. But anger never justifies an ungodly choice, does it? Moses met with God. Moses heard from God. But somewhere along his walk, Moses forgot God is holy. Be afraid. Now, if it were me, I'll be real honest with you. I might have shut off the faucet of my generosity. You're going to behave that way? No water for you. Not God. Verse 11 says, water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their livestock. All was well, right? Wrong. Wrong. Ultimately, Moses' anger and arrogance cost him more than he could have imagined. Which takes us to verse 12. It's the very heart of today's message. God says this to Moses. Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. Wow. Wow. Think about this for a minute. Moses had stood toe-to-toe with the most powerful man on the earth, Pharaoh of Egypt, and he did it many times. He'd experienced God's awesome plagues. I wonder if he had a chance to fleck off one of those frogs that invaded. I'm sure he looked at, maybe even tried to taste, the the, the blood-red Nile River. He'd seen all of that. He saw God part the Red Sea for the Israelites, saw God collapse the Red Sea on the Egyptian army. Was right there. Right there. He tasted the amazing provision of God's manna. He could describe it to us today. He felt the rush, the gush of cool water on his lips in the desert previously as God provided. He heard God's actual voice. You want to know what it sounds like? We read it elsewhere in Exodus. The the people were so uh, frightened by this voice that they also heard. They begged Moses to ask God to stop speaking. That's an impressive voice. Moses met, met with God Almighty, the Ancient of Days. It wasn't a Zoom meeting. This was personal. Met with God. Had an appointment. Moses traced his fingers on the very handwriting of God in those two stone tablets we know as the Ten Commandments. Traced the, the handwriting of God. And after all that, 
Moses would never enter the promised land. He would never, ever place so much as one little toe on that soil. Translation, God is holy. Be afraid. But that idea is lost on many of us. Why? Well, we have a flat tire when it comes to the holiness of God. Some would say, isn't isn't God's treatment of Moses a little harsh? God says, your treatment of sin is too soft. Sin is why Jesus had to be bashed on the head, lashed across his back, punctured with nails. It is precisely that costly, and that is why God demands our holiness. Are you beginning to understand a little about this spiritual flat tire of ours? Wow. There are two sobering warnings in this text that just shake me to the core. What I'm about to share with you now was the moment I knew this needed to be a message that we looked at together. Warning number one, God might well appear to bless our ministry despite our sin. He might well appear to bless our ministry despite our sin. Observe that the water gushed out, right? But success does not equal holiness. Does that remind you of any recent leadership failures in the Christian world? When he died, May 19, 2020, he was buried a hero in the Christian faith. But just a few weeks, just a few months later, the truth came out. Ravi Zacharias was one of the brightest minds, the best apologists, the finest authors Christianity has ever known. Ever. But like I say, months after his burial, it all came out. Zacharias used tens of thousands of dollars of ministry money to pay for massage therapists. On his phone, hundreds and hundreds of photos of women, some clothed, some naked, some performing sex acts. We learned that Ravi tried to blackmail women to keep them silent. Please note, while this was going on, While he was manipulating women with payments, while he was demanding sex of therapists, his books were selling by the hundreds of thousands. His calendar was jammed with speaking engagements at the world's most profound and highly platformed places, including Founders Week at the Moody Bible Institute. His university debates on the rationality of Christianity, hugely popular on YouTube. I used to watch them. I interviewed him for my book, if I could do it all over again. Yeah, i got to talk to Ravi. God seemed to be blessing him greatly. As with water, as with Moses, water came out abundantly, and Ravi seemed to be at the top of his game. Note it carefully. God might well appear to bless our ministry despite our sin. I don't doubt that in his early years, Ravi met with God. That Ravi heard from God. But somewhere along the way, Ravi forgot. God is holy. Be afraid. Today, if you visit Ravi Zacharias Ministries, RZM, their website, all you'll find is an apology from their board and a link to a sickening 12-page report that details Ravi's downfall. I've read it. The truth comes out. God is holy. Be afraid. There's a second warning. 
We can live lives of great faithfulness, doing great things for God over a great span, and yet sin in a way that results in great disappointment, like Moses. What a shame to have missed the honor of stepping into the promised land. How sad to come so close, but know that your sin, your choices have kept you out. Are you just a little bit terrified yet? God is holy. Be afraid. What does it mean, though? I mean, how should we respond to all of this? What does it mean practically that God is holy and we should be afraid? Can I, can I offer you three quick takeaways here? And as we do, let me confess to you right now, I haven't mastered this. <laughs> In some ways, I shared with a pastor friend, I feel unqualified to preach this message. I can't look any of you in the eye and say, yes, my life is a life of trembling before God. Scripture commands it. I haven't done it. I've got a lot to learn about this. We've got a lot to learn. Takeaway number one, God is still holy. God is still holy. I want you to process with me. The Bible never says God is love, love, love. Never says God is forgiving, forgiving, forgiving. Never says God is grace, grace, grace. He is, he's all of those, but he chooses to only describe himself as holy, holy, holy. He does it in Isaiah 6, verse 3, Revelation 4, verse 8. Old Testament and New. Certainly God is all of those things. Loving, grace, forgiving. But he's holy. In fact, the Bible uses the word holy some 611 times. It's a big deal to God. Not so much to us. You don't get that idea, do you? Takeaway number two. God demands we approach him as holy. It's not merely enough to have head knowledge about his holiness. We can't just give him lip service. You know, I'm, I'm intrigued. Some people, I've heard them talk. You almost get the idea that when they get to heaven, they're going to high-five Jesus. <laughs> but anytime, any person in any passage in Scripture encounters any of the triune God, you know what they do? They fall flat on their faces. That's what they do. God is holy. Be afraid. Tremble, earth, before the Lord, before the God of Jacob. Psalm 114, verse 7. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Hebrews 12, 14. No one. Hebrews 12, 14. Be holy, for I am holy. 1 Peter 1, 16. A command, not a suggestion for the super spiritual. It's also found in the Old Testament. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Leviticus 19, 2. God is still holy. God demands we approach him as holy. Takeaway number three, when we do not honor God's holiness, we suffer God's judgment. It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God, says Hebrews 10.31. Just ask Dathan and Abiram. Numbers 26 tells us they were, quote, chosen by the congregation who fought against Moses and Aaron with the followers of Korah who rebelled against the Lord and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them. God is holy. Be afraid. Ask Ananias and Sapphira. 
They lied to the Holy Spirit, were struck dead on the spot. Boom. God is holy. Be afraid. And then there was Herod Agrippa. Acts 12.23 says, Immediately an, an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and died. Oh, eaten alive by worms. God says of Moses, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. I wonder, are we upholding God as holy in the lives of our neighbors, in the lives of our kids, our grandkids? This idea of upholding God as holy begins with acknowledging that we're not holy. We are people who've messed up, every single one of us. The Bible word is sin. It means falling short of God's standard of holiness. And there's nothing we can do to earn God's favor. That's why he sent Jesus, to pay the penalty for our wrongdoing. And by receiving Christ's forgiveness, we can be made acceptable to God, have the certainty of heaven. And if you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior, this is your day. Just ask him to take you as you are, to forgive you, and to give you an appetite for holiness, to turn away from the the junk called sin. Maybe like me, you would admit that when it comes to engaging the true holiness of God, you've got a flat tire. I mean, we've come to church today. Hopefully we've met with God. I suspect some of us have heard from God. But are we going to do the Moses thing? the Ravi Zacharias thing and forget what we've heard? Forget the holiness of God? Are we going to deal with it? But again, maybe you would admit you've got a flat tire. Like me, you, you struggle with this idea of trembling in his presence. You struggle responding to the notion that God is holy, be afraid. What if we were to spend a moment right now and just confess that to God? Why couldn't we do that right now? I think we could. Would you, would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? I'm going to kind of guide us in a brief prayer time together. Might be a little awkward because we're going to give some spaces. It's going to be silent. And that's fine. I'll give you room to pray silently. But let's pray. Maybe you want to pray your own version of this opening statement. Oh God, forgive us for treating your holiness lightly. And as we continue in this silent personal prayer, ask God to show you where you've been flippant with regard to his holiness. Don't let the silence bother you. Just pray. Now invite God to teach you what it means to tremble before him. Lord God, would you fix our misshapen hearts, our misshapen view of your holiness? 
teach us what it means that God is holy to be afraid. With your eyes closed, why not sing with me? Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty.